0: This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. I'm Miwa Messer. I'm the producer and host of Poured Over, and Tom Parada is with us today. And of course, you know his name from all of the best-selling books, some of which have been turned into films and some of which have been turned into HBO series like Mrs. Fletcher and The Leftovers. But more importantly, we're back with Tracy Flick from Election, because Tom's new novel is Tracy Flick Can't Win. And I am so excited to talk to Tom about this book, but also for readers to experience Tracy's adult life, because I don't think it's what she expected. (laughs) Tom, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, Thank you so much for having me, Mima.
0: So, you know, we've been huge fans of your work at BNN for a really long time, because Bad Haircut was a Discover pick back in the day. This is a really, really long time ago. But Election came out in 98 as a novel. And I, when did the film come out?
1: Or 99. So it was okay. a very, very quick turnover. In fact, the book was published because a movie was coming. So it was actually optioned as an unpublished uh, manuscript.
0: Which I didn't know until I was researching the show. But why bring back Tracy Flick now? I mean, she's a great character and what you've done with her is amazing. But why bring her back now?
1: The first thing is that Tracy never went away. Um, So, yes, you can say I'm bringing her back, but the culture kept her in circulation in a way that was really interesting to me and at times a little alienating. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like you create a character and, you know, suddenly she's played brilliantly by Reese Witherspoon. And in a sense, that becomes... The public's image of the character. And I, I love that performance as much as mm-hmm. anybody. But then Tracy got picked up by political journalists and, and by the internet as a kind of shorthand for uh, an overly ambitious woman.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so I would hear, you know, my character being compared to any number of politicians over the past 20 years, um, whether it was Hillary Clinton, most famously, um, more recently, Kirsten Gillibrand, Senator of New York, Elise Stefanik, Congresswoman from New York, Sarah Palin. That was, a, you know, just an odd experience to have, you know, my character not be my character anymore, in a sense. She became a kind of a touchstone and a shorthand and sometimes a bit of a stereotype, Um caricature, whatever. So, so that was, there was always something like kind of just, you know, bothering me a little bit about um, this way that Tracy had kind of grown beyond the book. And that's great. I mean, a writer has to love that And on one hand, but on another, I felt like, oh, that's not my Tracy. Like sometimes I couldn't really recognize my Tracy. Um, And then the real triggering event, I think, was Me Too, Um, because in election, Tracy, who is only a high school junior, um, has a a sexual relationship with a teacher. It's very brief. Um, She decides she doesn't want to continue with it. Um, her mother finds out, the teacher gets fired. It's kind of the inciting incident for Mr. M's
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh the Men of Tracy. You know, it, it was very interesting during the Me Too moment, and, and again, a little disturbing to read a lot of women talk about relationships like this. Like, at the time, I thought I was consenting to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the culture then had kind of redefined that to say you, there's no such thing as consent when somebody's underage, and the uh, one person has power and, and authority, and, and and I just wondered, you know, what would Tracy say about this? How, I mean, we all had come up with a story in middle age for who we were as young people. Whether those stories are fully accurate, um, you know, I think it, it really the question is, do they work for us? You know, mm-hmm. and so I, I was very, it was very interesting to pick up a character some twenty years later actually twenty five mm-hmm. um, and say, "How does this look to her? How does it look to me? <laughs> um, so I think I think you know those that those are my two answers that that one Tracy never went away, and two I got very curious to think about how she would explain herself and her high school experience now,
0: and there's a lot that she's bumping up against, and she's finding that a lot of those stories don't work for her anymore. But I also do want to take a minute and just say, you know, we're talking about adults being compared to a 16-year-old fictional girl who's running for president of her high school class. And that telescopes something for me in a way, because you write these novels that hit nerves in many ways. I mean, you've you've talked about how the election in 92 has influenced the creation of election, the novel, and the left... You do have these moments in our sort of greater culture where you say, okay, I think I've got a book here. But is this the first time you've gone back to a character? I mean, I realize she hasn't left per se, but you had to sit down and do the work and create this narrative.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is the first time I've gone back to a character. And I used to say, I never would. And of course, you never do until you do. You know, Tracy was a high school girl. Mm-hmm. And yet somehow she became a way of talking about adult women politicians. Mm. And part of that, again, it was Reese's Reese Witherspoon's, you know, really electric performance of mm-hmm. Tracy was the fact that it was an excellent movie. But also it was just there were actually no models. I had never read a novel about an American woman politician when I wrote Election. Mm. Um, you know, I think, you know, now Curtis Sittenfeld has, you know, written some, and, but at that point, you know, there weren't a lot of women politicians. Hillary Clinton was still, you know, a first lady. Mm-hmm. Um, she had not had a political career. There had been, like, Shirley Chisholm. There'd been Bella Abzug. There'd been a few women politicians. There was um, so, uh, one or two senators, but it really was, like, empty territory, and then here came this character who's just burning with ambition and just, you know, um, but for herself, you know, she was post-feminist. And and that I think is the important thing. But it was weird to watch this high school girl become a kind of stand-in for, um, you know, very accomplished adult women.
0: (laughs) You're exactly right. I don't think there was... fictional character that had quite taken the world the way Tracy Flick had. But, you know, Tracy's a piece of that story, the way she's the piece of this. But she's the big beating heart of Tracy Flick can't win in ways that I didn't really predict. And she's sort of, I have a note from the book as I was going through, and she's approached by an ex-Silicon Valley bro who has relocated to the tiny town in New Jersey where she's the assistant principal. And he wants to create a hall of fame in the high school. And there's a note at the bottom of the page in pencil, because I like to work in pencil, and it says, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Just, oh, no. (laughs) Because this is where it starts. It starts with this guy who comes back to the tiny town that he's from. And we learn much more about Kyle as the story goes through. Tracy is the assistant principal. It's not the life she planned. She's a single mom, not the life she planned. And oh, so where did this particular novel, Tracy Flick Can't Win, start for you?
1: Yeah, well, so, you know, I I think I always like to have a kind of comic premise or kind of a counterintuitive premise. So for election, you know, that idea of like, I'm going to write a serious political novel, but it's going to be set in, uh, uh, you know, in a high school during election for school president. And, and it's something that we all know is just a way to pad your resume. You know, it, nobody, <laughs> nobody expects anything from the high school principal, uh, the high school president, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it was fun to, to do that. And in this case, um, the Hall of Fame is another sort of. It's a tiny local thing. It's just not a big deal, but it turns out to be um, a little deal that reveals all kinds of Mm -hmm. rifts and values and personal tensions within the town. And it really was a a fun, um, inciting vehicle for for the story. Also because um, Tracy expected... When she was young, that that she would have a big life, mm. a life where people knew her name, and that she would be, in a sense famous. She says, I, w- I wasn't interested in fame per se, but the things I was interested in, you know, leadership and and political office um, would lead to would lead to fame. The fame would be a byproduct of the kinds of achievements that she expected from herself. And so this trivial little high school hall of fame um, actually does, you know, trigger for Tracy that um, kind of melancholy midlife inventory. Like, you know, and she says at one point, if my own high school were doing a hall of fame right now, they would look at me and say, nope, not Tracy Flick. She didn't do enough. And, and it, it, It wounds her, it doubly wounds her because the person they want to honor is a former high school football star (laughs) who spent a couple of seasons in the NFL, who is a terrible person. Uh, And it reminds her of all the unqualified or unpleasant um, mediocre men who have somehow taken what was rightfully hers, whether going all the way back to election when you know Mr. M puts up a kind of a empty football jersey to run against her and almost and almost beats her, you know. Uh he he cheats to try and make his candidate win. But but it just brings back that whole drama for Mm -hmm. Tracy. Why that guy and not me?
0: And also you have a really sort of poignant line where she says she likes coming back to school in the fall because honestly she's much more comfortable in her professional sort of persona. And she's not one for vacation. <laughs> and it that line alone just sort of bridges who she is as a teenager and who we come to know as Tracy Flick as an adult, she's just I, she likes to have guardrails in a way that, you know, when you meet her as a kid, oh, yeah, she likes guardrails. and and we do sort of find out why. We get more of her backstory. We get her mother's story. We find out how her trajectory changes. But, you're sitting down with Tracy. We've got Kyle, the Silicon Valley bro, who he has a role to play. We've got the principal who's about to retire, and we've got Vito the football player, and a couple of current students, and they're sort of our main chorus of voices, and they're really fantastic because we've got the generational shift, we've got the gender shift. we've got really just the right mix of folks. So who showed up after Tracy? Was it Kyle or was it someone else
1: so so actually the the funny part of this is. The the book started with Vito Falcone, who is oh. a football player.
0: Okay. Um,
1: I, I, for years, have been very um, moved by the spectacle of these pro football players, you know, who sometimes in their 40s and 50s, you know, discover that they have, um, you know, brain injuries that, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of... You know, mimic dementia in mm-hmm. some ways, but also of course, can lead to violence and to suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, these are guys who, under you know, especially like the kind of high school world that I grew up in, they were the kings, you know yeah. and and now suddenly the the culture is looking at them with a kind of a pity, you know, and they're feeling like the loss of their abilities and and Some some of them, you know, are deeply depressed and and suicidal, Mm -hmm. and and I just thought somehow, what if this guy gets brought back to his hometown? Mm -hmm. We honored it, but he's just a wreck, you know. And that there are all these Mm -hmm. people in the town who are still angry at him because he was such a jerk, you know. Mm
0: -hmm. And that
1: was kind of the beginning. And when and when I tried to write it, I kept writing it in the form of election with the the. I wanted to write it with the kind of oral history, different mm-hmm. people telling little pieces of the story. And I said, Well, I can't do that. That that's just sort of self-plagiarism, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh and but I couldn't write it any other way. And and then at some point I just had that moment of, <laughs> Oh, Tracy's there, you know, right. that's why I want to do it this way. Tracy's there. And and that's when the whole book opened, opened up. And that's it's just so funny how I'm And I would say the same thing happened with election, where I wanted to write about the brother and sister running against each other. Um, But there needed to be this sort of mainstream candidate. And that was Tracy. So Tracy was a little bit of an afterthought in election, but then kind of took it over in her way. And in in this book, too, I didn't know, uh, you know, Tracy just kind of pushed her way. (laughs) She's pushy. Tracy's
0: push. <laughs> she is, and we like that about her. But as you're moving forward, because you've famously said you don't outline, you just sit down and you start. So how does this cast show up for you? So we've got Vito, Tracy comes back. Then how do you find those those sort of other main voices?
1: There's the principal who is Tracy's boss, and he's he's gonna retire, and that leaves an open space for her. And he somehow became a very important, he doesn't doesn't have to be an important voice in this book, but for some reason, the idea of this old male guard um, seemed, I mean, he is kind of Mr. M for this, he, you know, and, and he's also misbehaving like Mr. M a little bit. Um, so so maybe that's part of it. So there's Tracy, of course, uh, but there's, you know, there's her boss who is a little bit of a Mr. M kind of echo. And then there are the two high school students who are also, um, echoing, you know, some of the characters in Election, mm-hmm. like Lily Chu is a little bit reminiscent of Tracy, though not quite so driven.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Though, though, again, like feeling the weight of parental expectation the mm-hmm. way that um, Tracy feels the weight of her mother's um, expectations for her. Um, Nate is a little bit like Paul, mm-hmm. um, not quite as dumb. <laughs> 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 um, and But I think the, the interesting difference with Tracy Flick can't win is that there are also these third-person chapters. Yeah. Um, so Vito, for instance, is only ever treated as a third-person character. Um, the high school secretary, front desk Diane, uh, gets some. And then there's a, a local auxiliary police officer mm-hmm. who plays an important role, right. um, who also is, is is mentioned. So it's almost like a combination of the uh, oral history style of election with the close third person that I do in books like Little Children.
0: Yeah, and that close third actually is a lot of fun. I mean, you do it in Mrs. Fletcher, you do it in Little Children and Leftovers as well. And that tiny bit of distance, and, and partially I raise it because this idea of distance, you do a lot with close third in ways by stepping back almost and just letting your characters come to the fore and say what they need to say and do what they need to do. And the story just moves forward naturally. I want to come back to the principal for a second, because he's got this line where he's like, well, aren't we all sort of held hostage to our past? (laughs) Like the historical um, moment, we're all, what's the line you have? Oh, we're all prisoners of our historical context. And it really sounds like something a guy on the verge of retirement in this age would say, because, you know, he's remembering sort of what he was taught coming up in the 70s when everyone was raised by wolves. Everyone. We cannot (laughs) pretend for a second that one of us was not raised by wolves in the 70s. But here he is, you know, trying to do... uh, He's got to deal with a clothing issue with a teacher who is not Tracy. And he's just like, Tracy, can you talk to her? I can't. He, He understands that the world is changing... More so than some of the other characters in his orbit. And I was kind of pleasantly surprised by that. I mean, he's still struggling with it. At one point, he's like, this is like the guillotine. It's the French Revolution. Everyone's <laughs> coming after the old guys. And it's like, well, we're not coming after the old guys. We're just changing the way things are done. Yeah, well,
1: that's a funny one, you know, because at, when he when you first meet him, this often happens with my characters. When you first meet him, you, th- you think one thing about him, you know, which is they're he seems like a guy who's very careful. Like, I don't want to get mm. in trouble. I, I hear a lot of, I, re, I remember when I was teaching in college and after years of getting a free pass, you know, male professors were getting in trouble for having, you know, affairs with students, et cetera. And, and people would get very theatrical. I'm leaving the door to my office open. You know, I'm going to be completely above board here and transparent. And, you know, Jack Weed, the character in this book is like mm. this. He's like, I can't talk to this woman about this clothing issue um, because it's just not something a man my age can bring up. You know, it's some, her clothes are inadvertently revealing. And, and um, he calls, he asked Tracy to do it. And you think, oh, this this guy is just, he's a little paranoid because, you know, a lot of older men are getting in trouble. But then you realize later, he has very good reason <laughs> to be watching his back. He's done a lot of, you know, ethically questionable things, uh, especially in, in, you know, never, well, I mean, even with a student early in his past Mm -hmm. and now he's uh, got some other illicit things or had some (laughs) guilty conscience is really what's going on there, which maybe is the case for a lot of men who are feeling like, you know, the world's coming after me.
0: And Kyle, our Silicon Valley bro, I don't know if he doesn't know the rules have changed or he doesn't care. <laughs> he just sort of does what he's going to do. He, he is, he, he moves through the world with a lot of confidence that may or may not be earned. But can we talk about the men for a second? Can we talk about the men in Tracy Flick Can't Win for a second? Because they seem a little befuddled, but if they really think about it and stop for a minute. Like you said about Jack Weed, he knows what he's done. He knows who he is. But they still put forward this sort of pretense that, oh, but, you know, I, I, it's an interesting lady.
1: Well, You know what? I, this This is sort of where I start as a writer, which is that almost everybody deep down thinks that they're a good person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all have to do you know, uh, a certain kind of gymna- mental gymnastics to separate out the things that we've done that maybe aren't good. Mm-hmm. Most of my characters have a conscience, even though they've done bad things. I mean, Mr. M in Election was a perfect example of that. He saw himself as a defender of the week. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, he did. He was <laughs> kind of, you know... I think a really his the ethical code that he taught was a good one. He just didn't live by it, and it's hard to live by it. And uh, so I mean, that's the only defense I would say for some of these male characters. Kyle thinks he's helping other people.
0: <laughs> oh, yes, he does.
1: <laughs> so, so that's that's often uh, those good intentions. You know, people want to be judged on their good intentions. Not on their murky actions, <laughs> um, and especially I think for men who grew up at a time when I think they got passes for being successful, right? Um, and so Kyle made a lot of money. Vito was uh, played in the NFL. Jack Weeds, the principal, they're all guys who were at in some way the top of that that heap, and. Mm-hmm the culture did tell them that that's your reward for being at the top of the heap. You know, you can, uh, you're, you're exceptional and some of the rules don't, don't really apply to you. And then they're having these moments later in life when the world's like, no, the rules apply to everyone. (laughs) And, you know, Jack in a way, got away with things. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, at the moment that we're getting the story, he's not doing anything bad. In fact, he's he's spent the last ten years caring very, um, very, you know, really helping his wife, who's been who's been ill. Mm-hmm. And I think people around him see just a good, selfless guy who's about to enjoy his well earned retirement. And of course, the book tells us a different story of of what his past was. And I'm just I'm really interested in in that idea that that everybody you know, thinks that they're good no matter what they've done. You know, and and, and the, the ways that we manage to tell those stories to ourselves are really interesting.
0: And it's the narrative tension between all of these characters that keeps the action moving forward. I mean, that's the one that you never stop. The story is always, always going forward and there's always one more piece to be revealed. And what I find kind of interesting, though, is a lot of reviewers and... Folks out in the world will say, oh, no, well, Parada, he's just he's a fabulous satirist. And there are elements of satire, certainly in this novel, in in the new Tracy Flick novel. But that's not all you're doing. And in the past, you've said, oh, hey, wait a minute. I'm just trying to push the comic novel in new directions. And I realize some of what we've just talked about doesn't sound like it's particularly funny. But it is because it's you writing these characters. And they do things and they say things where you're like, well, that's what that person would do it makes perfect sense on the page. And you have always had this balancing act between getting laughs, even if they're kind of bleak, which I mean, life can be oddly funny in strange ways. And, you know, sometimes you just have to laugh for the release because otherwise you're staring at a wall saying, what just happened? So can we talk about this whole comic novel versus satire thing for a second? Because I really do feel like people keep trying to put a label on you.
1: I know. I know. And, and I'm, I'm a little confused myself because I I do think of myself as a funny writer. I can't help it in in a certain way. Like, like, and I don't mean that as a, uh, in a boastful way. It's like, I think, you know, I play poker with these guys and they don't find me particularly funny. Like, like in real life, I don't, I'm not super funny. And yet when I write, I think there's a sense of absurdity, um, that just comes out no matter if I'm, I'm trying to bring it out or not. It's, mm-hmm. just, it's just essentially part of my voice. Um, and when I was young, I was very clear, like I want to be a funny writer, I want to get laughs. And you know, I would say like that goes like Philip Roth when he was young, mm-hmm. was a much more comic writer. Um, weirdly, by the time he was an, an old man, um, a lot of the humor was just gone. You know, it's just, there was a kind of a mm-hmm. magisterial, somber voice that that came out of him. Um, and I, I would say my writing has gotten darker and, and more serious over the years. But some of book like this does have moments of just, you know, real absurdity. And I would laugh when I was writing uh, certain scenes. But I, you know, I think there's a comic novel, which is, a novel written in a funny voice, um, maybe a novel that um, is forgiving of the characters in some sense and compassionate toward them. but again, that that doesn't have to be a comic novel. One thing I want to stress, and one of the reasons I don't see myself as a satirist is that I take my characters seriously.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I think a lot of times, in pure satire, a writer is kind of looking down at the characters and a little bit poking fun. And there's a sense that the writer and the audience are feeling superior to, to the characters. And, um, you know, I, I try not to do that. I think Kyle gets mocked a little because he's mm-hmm. this sort of tech bro who's gotten rich off some, you know, kind of a silly virtual pet app that he wrote and he takes yeah. himself very seriously. He's the kind of person that you would probably make fun of if he lived in your town, you know? Um, So, so that's, I feel like he's a little, he's a character who gets satirized a bit. Vito is not really satirized in this book. Mm -hmm. I think I, uh, I mean, he's suffering. And I think um, he just, he gets treated with the compassion that I think somebody struggled, even though he's done a lot of bad things. I, I think his, dilemma within the book is, is one that, that I find moving, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's an interesting challenge for a writer. I mean, I think to have this person who is objectively pretty unpleasant and then mm-hmm. see his pain and, and to kind of, um, seem struggling to be better, uh, uh, you know, was, that was something I, I was, um, really interested in is, is, um, because he's the kind of character who I might have um, been more scathing about and if I was writing about him at a different time of his life. But in this book, he's hit bottom and, and is trying to do better and um, is somebody with, you know, who's finally, for the first time in his life, able to look at himself and his shortcomings in an honest way.
0: And you don't really do villains typically. Anyway, even in Little Children, there's always humanity. I mean, we're talking about ordinary people in sometimes extraordinary circumstances, but also sometimes just life.
1: It's funny, right? Um, I mean, Ronnie in Little Children, the Mm -hmm. the child, he's objectively a villain, but we mostly see him through the eyes of his mother. who loves him and wants him to be better. Um, And that's a good reminder, right? That everybody deserves some kind of compassion. But, you know, I mean, he's objectively a villain and and Uh people are frightened of him and they're not wrong to be Uh Uh frightened and appalled by him. Um, I think election is a perfect example of this. Mr. M is the villain, right? He does something Uh Uh kind of unbelievably corrupt, Uh You know, petty and corrupt you know, it causes lifelong damage to Tracy. You know, the,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the idea that a teacher would scheme against you, that that somebody you respected hated you so much that he mm-hmm. would stoop to this kind of underhanded action to, you know, to stop you. Um, it really, it makes her doubt herself in certain ways. Um, but for a long time, people would watch that movie and think Tracy was the villain. You know, <laughs> you can say I don't do villains, but it's more like, you know, <laughs> I do villains, but sometimes people don't recognize which is the villain.
0: Yeah, let me rephrase that. I mean, it's more that they're not villains in the classical, you know, twirling of the mustache sense, because it's also partially that they don't know they're the problem.
1: Yeah, they they all believe they're good or yeah. they all are starring in a personal narrative. Yeah. In which they're the protagonist and and, you know, they're very well aware of the pain that they've suffered and they're very well aware of the goals that they're moving toward and and I'm really interested in the stories we tell mm-hmm. to ourselves about ourselves and what we where we've been and where we're going and what we deserve I mean that that's really important to me and and nobody's the villain of their own story for sure
0: I do think that our art sort of reflects where we are. If we're, if we're in conversation with the wider world and we're in conversation with our culture and our society, as you frequently do in your novels, you know, you are going to be landing some hits right away and things become sort of timeless. I mean, Tracy's experience right now feels very, very timeless, and she feels like she has really pushed forward. I mean, she's meditating now. Tracy Flick meditates. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And I thought she would do that, you know, um, but, but there, I think you're on to something because it was nerve wracking for me to go back mm-hmm. in, you know, 2021 and see what I had written about. Right. I um, Cause I hadn't picked up election and read it mm-hmm. in a way. The movie had become a kind of shorthand for me, but I, I had to read those scenes and, and, you know, it was definitely like a bit of a time machine for me. Yeah. Like, Oh, you know, Uh, The Victoria's Secret catalog is mentioned many, many times. (laughs) Uh, Madonna is mentioned many, many times. There's a, you know, there were things like Madonna was a kind of a feminist figure Mm -hmm. that now I think a lot of feminists look askance at Madonna. But back then, I think she represented, especially for a girl like Tracy, like Mm -hmm. the idea of like, if you want it, you go get it you know, and you just be bold about that and you don't apologize for what you want and for asserting your ego. And, you know, she was a a powerful figure and Tracy wanted to be that kind of person. I mean, I think she was a little, you know, more personally conservative, but still I think there was a feeling of, you know, strength and boldness and, um, you know, and Tracy is very... Clear, like I don't want to be a victim, and and you know I, I feel like I was channeling ideas that were in the zeitgeist at the time, but they're now seen as a little bit mm. like um, iffy, you know. And and Tracy is having to deal with that as well. So the good thing is that I felt like Tracy and I were in it together.
0: <laughs> what did you learn going back to to Tracy Flick can't win? What did you learn about yourself as a writer? What did you learn your, learn about yourself as you know, a middle-aged guy in America right now.
1: Oh boy, that that is a, a deep, that's a deep question. What do I learn from from my own work? I mean, I think that in some ways, some of my concerns haven't changed. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the insights of election was sort of like that all the hierarchies that you saw at play in high school were reflections of, you know, these hierarchies that play in the larger world and and even, you know, the political dynamics
0: Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm.
1: of that time. You know, Tammy being a kind of anti-government, you know. She's uh, a
0: great kid. kid.
1: She's She's a great character. She was the character that I really identified with Mm -hmm, at mm -hmm. the time. You know, Tracy was somebody I had some distance from. And I was thinking, you know, she's kind of, she's kind of humorless and, and, you know, Tammy is funny. Um, And I did, I I did, I think much more connect with her. I think um, now though, but my heart is with Tracy a bit. I think there's something about um, becoming middle-aged and, and looking back on, on your life and, and feeling like, you know, you did your best, but you also failed in some way. You know, there, there's something melancholy about Tracy that, um, you know, really that I connected with. I think, I think that, um, yeah. I, I, you asked that the <laughs> the hardest question <laughs> what, what do I learn from from my own work? I think, I think it allows me to explore things that maybe I can can barely mm. talk about. Um, uh, but I, I do try to be um, kind to my characters in the way that yeah. if I'm at my best, I'm kind to the people in my lives, which I, you know sometimes I don't measure up to that ideal either. But um, but also I you know we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. Um, sometimes it sounds like a cop out when somebody like Jack Weed says um, the, the culture changed on me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Meaning, you know, Jack says at one point, if you think that morality is absolute, you just haven't lived long enough. Mm -hmm. And, and I know that, you know, it's easy to be skeptical about something like that, but it is also true that, that, you know, we look at our lives and we look at the people around us through a cultural lens. And, and, the prescription for that cultural lens changes sometimes, and then the world looks suddenly very different. You think about Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky, for example, right. You know, and the culture has definitely gone back and revisited that, you know. I, I think I would not like to go back and hear like my take on that in, you know, the late 90s. Um, I can see it clearly now in a way I couldn't see it clearly then when it was right in in front of me. And I I do think what's interesting about Election and Tracy Flick Can't Win is that I'm looking at a lot of the same uh, issues, but through different cultural lenses just because of the times in which they were written.
0: It's a fun reading experience, I would say. I mean... Can you read Tracy Flick without having read Election? Yes, absolutely. Because actually I reread Election after Tracy Flick because I wanted to see what the experience was like coming to this particular character, Cold. And um, it totally holds up. It was really exciting. So if if you haven't read Election, do not let that stop you from reading Tracy Flick. But can you bring this character to the screen again? It does feel like that film became such an iconic Moment for Reese Witherspoon that I feel like some people feel like that character now belongs more with her than with you, even though you're the creator.
1: Um, and I, I don't, I don't blame them in that sense because I think the yeah. reason that she's become a kind of icon and someone that people are still interested in, you know, 20 years later, um, is because of, of that performance. You know, Election was not a big book,
0: right? It was I remember
1: widely read book, um, and so the only reason. Tracy lived on in, in the culture was that Reese Witherspoon um, embodied her with this sort of electric energy. And, and you know, can you bring her back? I think it would be really interesting if Reese did it, you know. <laughs> I mean, because then I think you have that same thing of just it it becomes a kind of window into how how people change. I do think, you know, a lot of times when we're young, we're bold and we're confident and life, you know, gradually takes it out of us.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and there is something about that process, you know, I, um, that is, is quite, you know, it's moving and it's it's a little sad. And I think to have the same actor, you know, play somebody who's a teenager and then play them as a, a middle-aged person, that's, that's very unusual possibility. I think there's an opportunity to do something extremely interesting that I haven't really seen before.
0: I would watch that. I would totally watch that. So what's (laughs) next for you?
1: Um, You know, so I had a long period where I was doing a lot of TV and film work Mm -hmm. and it got to the point where with Mrs. Fletcher, I was the showrunner on that. And it was a hugely time and energy consuming project and and I came home from that and that's when the pandemic hit and suddenly I was just back to being uh, you know a homebound writer go up to my room and and work on this book and it was Mm -hmm. it was such a pleasure really Um, I loved collaborating and I loved making tv but I feel like um, the pandemic for like for me like for a lot of people became this sort of pause Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. and
1: it lasted so long that when You know, well, it still hasn't ended, but, you know, we're a little bit on the other side of it. And you go back and say, okay, how have, how has my trajectory changed? And I think, at least for me, it feels like almost like that period of like deep involvement in film and TV is, is at least over for the moment. You know, I would like to just keep writing, um, you know, with, with not too many competing. Um, activities going on and uh, you know I, I I'm just starting something now and it's all I'll say is like Tracy Flickett it, it it does involve me kind of returning it's not a sequel to another book but it's it's definitely returning to the past it's it, maybe I'm in a slightly retrospective
0: mm-hmm. moment.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm you know yeah I'm
0: getting older we have plenty of space on the shelves for you, Mr. Parada. Tom Parada, thank you so much for joining us on Port Over. This has really been a treat. Tracy Flick Can't Win is out now.
1: Well, thanks, Mewa. I really enjoyed talking to you.
0: Port Over is a Barnes & Noble production. The show is available on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please rate and view us wherever you listen to podcasts.